Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listen to Scoopy Radio with Brendan Robinson. Scoopy Radio. Heavy.com. And uh, make sure you guys are checking out uh, this episode of Heavy Live on all platforms. Uh, we have it on uh, Heavy Live. I think it's with Heavy Live Lakers, Heavy Live um, on Periscope and a myriad of other places. But I don't want to be rude because I'm not the only guy in this Brady Bunch chat box. I also have Sean Devaney, another senior writer at heavy.com who's got a million and two years of experience covering the NBA. What's going on? You make me feel old, man. You're not old. You're not old. I'm a respected NBA journalist has been in the league for over 20 years. And the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. We got Michael Red, one of the most proficient NBA shooters there is out there. First of all, uh, Michael. Uh, how are you and your family doing uh, doing this NW radio? We're doing we're doing good. Uh, we have uh, we have been home the last six months for the most part, um, but uh, we're doing good. Uh, the, the house has shrunk on us a little bit because we've been around each other all day, every day. But as a family, we've we've certainly grown closer together. Um, the one thing I'm missing right now is a hug. Mm. Uh, I miss being around people, and so. Uh, I, obviously, I join my family, but I miss being around people and being social. And, and you, you gave you gave the uh, the Ohio State commencement address uh, last was that last month? Yeah. yeah. What was that like to not be around people to do that? Uh, I, I, I listened to the speech. It was it was amazing. It was great. It was very inspiring for I think a group of people right now becoming adults at this time. Yeah. It, they really need some inspiration, so that was that was excellent. But what was it like for you trying to uh, trying to deliver that? Uh, you could feel the weight of it for sure. Uh, in spite of no one being in the arena, um, it was it was a heavy moment and one of the great honors of my life. I was asked maybe about three weeks prior to that speech to uh, to be the commencement speaker um, by our AD Gene Smith, and uh, I said, "You sure?" And uh, he said, "No, you you are the, the right person for the time to do so." And so I. I said, sure. And so uh, it was an incredible moment. My leg was shaking 
the whole <laughs> behind the podium. Uh, because again, the gravity of the moment, I, I knew it was an important moment for the history of those students. Oh. No, that's real. I, I look at a lot of commencement speeches. I know that LeBron James, Barack Obama, uh, and, and others have been really proactive in you know, being positive, particularly in this digital world that we're in. Um, I'm curious to know because you you did that speech. Was it like a was it like a month ago? Was it when was the actual date? Yeah, I think it was August 9th, uh when that speech happened. So yeah, yeah. When you look at Chadwick Boseman uh, from uh, the, 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 he recently passed away, by chance did you check out his speech before you wrote your speech? I didn't even write it, Scoop. Are you serious? No, no teleprompter, no writing at all. It was from the heart. No way. Yeah, true story, true story. They, they asked me uh, if I had a speech and if they could review it before I spoke and whatnot. And I said, I don't have anything written down. I'll just, I'll go off the top of the dome and, and show it was in my heart. And, and the thing about it is, Sean and Scoop, it was something that I had lived. So I was sharing from something that I experienced and that I lived. Mm -hmm. um, so it made it kind of very authentic and real. Uh, in the moment. Another thing that you lived was an NBA career. Um, to me, I'll, I'll just be honest. Uh, I remember being in high school and there was a fantasy basketball draft amongst a lot of my friends. And uh, I think this was like the 2002-2003 season. And I picked you up off the free agency wire. <laughs> oh, they was mad at me. pretty <laughs> 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 well that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but uh, it was kind of like a breakout year for me. Uh, and uh, I just re-signed back with the Bucks that year. So, uh, yeah, it was a fun year for sure. Absolutely. When you look at the NBA in its current climate, um, shooting is king. Right. Do you ever wish you could switch with somebody else? and play in this era now versus the era you're in? And if so, who would you switch with? Oh boy, great question. Um, I don't know if I would switch with anybody, but certainly would love to have played in this era for sure. Uh, I enjoy the era that I played in, uh, which was still somewhat physical. Mm -hmm. And the three-point line still wasn't as it is now, obviously. Uh, I think I may have shot on average probably two, three, 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 a game. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's in three minutes, two minutes now, 30 seconds of a game guys are shooting. On. So it's a totally different dynamic. And I wasn't just a three-point shooter. I was a scorer who happened to shoot threes. And uh, mm -hmm. today's game is, is a totally different game compared to what we played. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of threes that are being put up now is, is unbelievable. Sean, we were talking off air uh, before Michael graced us with his presence, and we were talking about the Celtics and the, and the, and the Raptors. Um, and you marveled at, at, at uh, Market Smart, and you marveled at just the ability or the endurance that the, the, the Toronto Raptors have had to go to Game 7. Um, I guess this is a question for both of you guys because I respect both of your basketball minds. Um, what do you think the Celtics um, need to do uh, in order – to potentially uh, combat a team in the next round if they make it? Is it shooting? Is it, is it, what, what, what's missing? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, that the shooting hasn't been what it was, certainly not in the first two games. Um, you know, just, uh, uh, I think they've, they've 
tightened up, it seems like, as the series has gone on. I think, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Kemba, that that you know, they're throwing out these junk defenses, and and Michael knows that that it's tough to get NBA players to play junk defense. You know, they don't want to play box and ones. They, you know, a lot of guys say, I did that in, uh, you know, in high school. I'm not doing that now. Uh, but, uh, but, but Nick Nurse has been able to get, get those guys to do that. I don't think the Celtics have reacted to it. Uh, as well, so they need to make some adjustments to to take advantage of some of those things that uh, uh, that Toronto's doing. Yeah, I agree with Sean. I think looking back, even at last year's finals, they jumped it up against Steph Curry, right? Mm-hmm. Box sure. one, and it's no different what they're doing with Kimba. You know, for him to get three shots in the first half uh, speaks a little bit to their defense, to Toronto's defense. So, experience uh, should be on the Celtics' side. When it comes to nerves, they've been here the last couple of years. So, um, I mean, they got to continue to make shots to Sean's point and continue to limit the turnovers and uh, raise that basketball IQ a little bit when it comes to the third, fourth quarter of just executing offensively and not being so rattled. Michael, what does your shirt say? It's cut off. It looks interesting from the top. Oh, M. Tyson. Listen, man. <laughs> Who you got, Tyson or, or Roy Jones? Oh, man. You know what? Um, they're wearing head, head guards, right? Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, because I don't want to see Roy take any punches to the dome. Yeah. <laughs> Watching these workouts with Tyson, man, is 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 intense, and he's still got it. Um, who will win? <sighs> I'm going to go with Mike, um, and I love Roy. But I'm gonna go with Mike. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Both of them are 50s and late 40s, so uh, we'll we'll see uh, we'll see how it turns out. I will I will be watching them. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Could he have made it in this wide open league? Who say it again? Scooty Penn, Ohio State. Oh, no, no question. He could have made it back when we played. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he was—he's—he's he's underrated um, as a player. Uh, he was terrific in college, obviously, and had an excellent pro career overseas. But there's no question, um, and and we've talked about it over the years. But I, I feel like he could have played the NBA in our era. Yeah, you know, Scooney went to high school uh, in, in in Salem, Mass, which is right near where I live. Uh, and I remember talking to his agent while he was kind of at his height. Uh, playing in Europe, and I said, uh, you know, why don't you try to get him to the NBA? And he said, you know, we've tried, uh, but it's actually Scooney who doesn't really want to because he was he was the king of Europe for a couple of years. Everybody loved he was he was really uh, you know as good as there was uh, uh, in in Europe at the time, and 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 he liked that, and 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 he liked his role. You know, some guys I think go to Europe and they don't they don't they want to be back here. Uh, Scooney was a guy who I think accepted that. Uh, uh, that, that that challenge with the arms open wide and really embraced it and, and enjoyed it and and when the opportunities he had you know just to, to him to come back here and and be a you know an eleventh man a tenth man he didn't necessarily want to do that he was he was the man in Europe for a couple of years there he was he was and you know the waffling back and forth over here in America the inconsistency of maybe the CBA or G League or in between the NBA and all of that he was very comfortable overseas but Scooney is uh, one of the great competitors that I've ever played with and played against. And um, just an incredible talent. Made me a better player. Um, challenged me. Great leadership. Uh, can shoot it from deep. Can score and get past anybody. He was, he was terrific. 
Do you have any funny schooling pen stories? <laughs> man, oh man. You know, we had a bet. We really didn't bet, but he, he predicted that he was going to dunk in the game. Actually, uh, before the game, he was against Iowa. Uh, and we all we all were like, yeah, right, you're five foot eight, nine, or whatever, 10. And uh, in that game, he went and had a fast break. He went up and dunked it. And we went crazy. And, uh, you know, just the ultimate competitor. You can never tell him that he can't do something. Um, and that's, I'm so happy for him to this day, coaching for the Grizzlies. Uh, he always wanted to be in the NBA in some capacity. And uh, he's perfect for a job Morant. Um, and his development. You were teammates with Ray Allen, um, and you you made up a valid point. You, you you said you were a shooter, but you were a player. Um, when I look at Ray Allen, he transitioned in that same breath. You know, he was a player. Um, I, I remember he got game Ray Allen. Uh, I remember. I feel like Seattle was a hybrid, uh, but then Boston and Miami, he was a shooter for hire. We're talking like '98 Del Curry in Toronto, or a little later. Um, I guess my question for you is, how was playing with Ray Allen? Uh, how did it help you since you played the same position similarly? Yeah, it was one of the highlights of my career. Uh, although we only played together three years or two and a half years, uh, it was a highlight because uh, I learned so much from him. Um, you know, it, Kobe uh, said something about Michael uh, in the last dance. He said, when you see me, you kind of see Michael. You know, and my game involved as a shooter from being around Ray. So uh, we spent countless hours together. I would spend the night with him and his wife and, and just soak up as much information as I could from him. You know, I'm going to the NBA. I was a fan of Ray Allen and the whole Jesus Shuttleworth aura and, and actually being around him every day. Uh, you know, I got so much better. And hopefully I made him better in practice and challenging him in practice and whatnot. But there's no question uh, he had a major influence on my game. He he still thinks that uh, that the refs uh, guided the Sixers to the finals in two thousand one. What do you think? What's your what's your thought on that? I asked him about it about two years ago, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, they did." He still thinks so. It was tough, man. As a rookie, it was funny because my rookie year, I get to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I'm thinking, "Man, this this is the life. This is what it is every year." Then, and, and never got back since. But it it was it was it was interesting because Scott Williams, I think, got suspended. Yeah. Uh, after game six. And uh, that, that really hurt us more than anything. We had the momentum and uh, obviously AI was a handful at the time, but that Bucks team, we beat, we swept the Lakers that year. And yeah, we were back to a better challenge against the Lakers than, uh, than Philly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Were you on that team when Jadakiss put out that song, Put Your Hands Up? Was I? I don't know if I was or not. You remember the end of this line, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I was on the team, though. Y'all scared I could tell because I'm going to get bucks like Milwaukee because, like, Sam, I could sell? <laughs> I might have been. I might have been. I might have been. Probably. Probably was. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, you were talking about uh, – over there, we were talking about Anthony Mason. Um, and you, you brought up just how much of a of – a, a problem he was uh, on that team. And so I, I wanted to throw that alley to you because you and I both had relationship or, or dealings with you know Anthony Mason in our reporting. Um, you said that you would go back and forth from Chicago to Milwaukee. I guess I'm asking both of you, what are your experiences with Anthony Mason? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that team having such high hopes, and, and I think they thought that they'd bring in Anthony Mason and he would kind of be the defensive anchor that they were missing the previous year because guys had so much offensive firepower. Uh, and, I mean, I remember, I think it was media day, it was obvious he was not in shape, and, uh, and it just kind of like everything's kind of spiraled downward from there and never really got the traction. Uh, and I remember talking to him in the locker room and, and, you know, he would point out this guy's not defending, that guy's not defending. And it just seemed like every, like the good spirit that that team had in 2001 really disintegrated the following year. I don't know what, if that was Michael's, uh, uh, experience with that. So it's a, it's a dichotomy because, um, me and Mace got along well. I was a young guy mm-hmm. still working hard, uh, coachable young guy wanting to absorb from great players. And so he took care of me, you know, and I was close to him on the team. But the chemistry and the cohesion kind of broke up when Scott Williams left the team. Yeah. And um, if we gave it one more year with Scotty, um, who knows what we would have accomplished. But Mace had a different personality, uh, the personality that um, management thought would help bring leadership and toughness to the team. It didn't work out. Um, you know, guys clash all the time. And consequently, we didn't make the playoffs that year. Uh, I got hurt at the end of the year and missed the last, I don't know, 11 games or so. And the chemistry, we were in first place, I think, in March and wind up losing and getting out of the playoffs that year. So our chemistry broke down. And uh, I think Mason's personality did not mesh well with our team dynamic. He was a queen, he's a Queens native. God rest his soul. Did he yeah. tell you LL Cool J stories? Yep. <laughs> he was basically his bodyguard during his, high, his summer barbecues. Wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, but Mace taught me a lot. He taught me a lot about life, and, and we had, he knew what type of person I was. And so he would, you know, I would sit next to him on the plane or whatever, and, and he would tell me the ins and outs about, you know, the journey of my career. Um, but he, 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 was, uh, he was an acquired taste for you for sure. <laughs> You talk about yeah. a taste, George Carl, uh, as an interesting uh, taste. Me yeah. personally, growing up, I didn't like asparagus. I like it a little better now that I'm older. Um, and I feel the same way about salmon. Um, yeah. Could you compare Carl to salmon and asparagus, or did you have a different type of relationship? You know what, man? I had a different type of relationship with him. I, I had a great relationship with him. Um, I don't know how he used me compared to his disdain for Ray, probably. Uh, mm-hmm but they definitely didn't have the best of relationships at the time. Um, George challenged me every day in practice and threatened to send me to, to the CBA a couple of times. Uh, some of the mistakes I made in games or in practice, but I didn't play my rookie year at all, but uh, he was, he was gracious to me, man. And, and we made the trade for, with Ray. I was hurt. Me and Ray both were hurt. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, like, why did we trade our, our best player? <laughs> I, I didn't understand why. During that practice in Seattle, George Carl comes up to me and says, you know why we traded Ray? In the back of my mind, I'm like, you don't like Ray and y'all don't get along, whatever. Yeah. But he actually says to me, he said, we traded him for you. This is your time now. This is your franchise. And so I'm like, sad. But at the same time, like, wow. You know, so he believed in me from the beginning. He challenged me, coached me really hard. Uh, but I got so much better under his, uh, his leadership. Do you think you need that that the Ray Allen trade was necessary for you to blossom, or do you think that you guys could have 
uh, you know, especially with the number of guards that you had, do you, you think you could have, you, you'd have blossomed anyways? Yeah, I think, well, with the trade, it opened up the door for me to, to be yeah. a franchise guy. But uh, I love playing with Ray, especially as I got better and had more time on the court with him. There was one point where it was hard to guard both of us. You know, you look at Steph and you look at Clay. You know, I'm not saying that we're them, but like we had that dynamic as well, where you had Ray on one wing and you had me on the other wing, and I was coming into my own at the time. And um, I would have loved to see that a little bit longer, play mm -hmm. a little bit longer. Um, but uh, the, the dynamics of the league was different back then. You, we didn't play small ball. Yeah, right, right. We place him for you to play compared to playing together and see what that dynamic is. Yeah. yeah. Did try Gary Payton and, and Sam together though. <laughs> they did. They did. Right. Which was <laughs> which was unique. We made it to the playoffs that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was it was it was a hard fit. And Gary was professional. Um, made it work. He didn't want to come to Milwaukee at all. And uh but made it work and uh still put up his numbers and, and we got to the playoffs and played a tough Jersey team. Yeah, you played against the New Jersey Nets, Jason Kidd, Kenyon Martin. I have to ask this question because I'm actually close with Tim. What was his relationship? Like, did he and Kenyon Martin jaw back and forth in that series? Tim Thomas? Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, Tim was smooth, man. And, and if you try to talk trash to him or try to get up under his skin, he's going to go back at you because he's a Jersey guy. So um, – that series was, uh, if I remember, that was a while ago. But, you know, it was a hard series because really, I mean, uh, New Jersey was tough with Kerry Kittles, um, Jay Kidd, Jefferson, Ian Martin. They had, they were loaded. Lucius Harris. Um, and so, but, yeah, Tim, Tim definitely wanted to take the challenge for sure um, at the time when Kmart was uh, you know, young and, and, and tough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're shot. Did you call it a – was it a slingshot? Somebody's in my comments on Twitter. They said uh, a guy by the name of NBA Bo on Twitter, he said he, he interviewed you years ago. He said you were a great player. He would have been mind-boggling in this era. I interviewed him a couple of times, and he had a nickname for his shot. can't remember it, but I think it was something like the slingshot. I never had a name for it. I think that's always how I shot. Okay. You know, there's, there was coaches that tried to maybe tinker with it, Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it was going in. So if it's not broke, don't fix the type of thing. But uh, it was definitely unorthodox. And being left-handed anyway, it's going to look different than, than most right-handed shots. But uh, I just worked on a lot of the timing and release of it. Um, you know, because at that time, and I'm sure now, the release was everything. Getting it off in a split second was important. Um, most of the time, I had longer guys guarding me. So it was important to get it off as fast as I could, but I never really concerned totally about the form of it and how it looked. And some people liked it. Some people didn't like it, but uh, the goal was to get the ball in the hole. Reggie Miller had an awkward ass shot, bro. I can't even lie. <laughs> he had an awkward ass shot. He said that he averaged 45 points uh, in, in today's game. Two part question. Do you see that? And what would you average? I don't see 45. I think he's being more funny. Uh, <laughs> it's disrespectful to this era to, to feel like we would have doubled our point per, per average. 
Um, I don't know if that's the case. I think for sure it would have been more. I just don't know how much more. Um, but in this era, it's less physical. Um, the three ball is more prevalent. Um, I mean, guys are shooting. I think James Harden is shooting 10 to 12 threes a game on average probably or maybe more. Um, who knows with, with shooting if Miller, excuse me. If Reggie Miller played in this era, would he be would he be James Harden level? Who who would he he who would he compare to? Different style, different era. Reggie was hard to guard, so Reggie would have got his numbers. Reggie would average thirty probably. Probably, probably more. Like, I don't know what the average don't know what peak year was. Yeah, or peak years, but he would he would he would have averaged thirty, close to thirty in his era for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Forty-five stretch. I don't want to respect to the generation. <laughs> you got some great athletes, but for sure he would have averaged more than 25, 27 points a game, thirty points a game, probably. That's real, Sean. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking more like like a Clay Thompson type. I think that's 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 what Reggie Miller would would remind me of. You know, uh, just the way he gets off of screens and things like that. Um, you know, I one thing I was wondering about Michael is I remember. 2005, you were a free agent, and you wind up, you know, getting the big deal from from the Bucks. Were you close with signing to, to signing with Cleveland? That was the team that 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 kind of had you targeted, and we know who you would have been playing with if. Right. if uh, so I, I'll I'll do like Scoot does. I'll do two part question. Yeah. Were you close, and do you ever think back, man? I could have played with LeBron if I had if I had done that. You know what? Um, I was close. I took a visit to Cleveland. Yeah. And that was uh, organization. Uh, my heart was in Milwaukee because that was a team that kind of groomed me. And, you know, there was a loyalty that we as players had to our own organizations back then. Different than now. Mm. Especially as a second round pick, I'd imagine, because that means they took a gamble on you. They did. They did. They groomed me and believed in me. And that meant a lot to me. Um, throughout my career. And so when the decision to sign back to Milwaukee, to me, I think it made sense because of the loyalty factor. And then back then, if you didn't win a championship, you still weren't, it didn't affect your legacy as far as how good you were. So if we didn't win a championship, I'd rather go down with the ship, you know, rather than join Kobe or join LeBron or join Tracy McGrady or Vince Carter. I'd rather play against them and beat them rather than, join them. So the different mentality we had back then compared to now where you almost have to join up to win a championship and compete for a championship. Back then was a different mindset. Like we didn't work out together in all season at all. Um, we um, it was a different era. Yeah. Know? So, you know, my whole mentality was I have an opportunity to lead a franchise um, from where I came from as a second round pick to lead a franchise and to help build a team here that can contend. That was the mindset I had back then. Did, did, did 2010 change that? Is that when that mentality changed, when, when you got those guys together in Miami? 2008, really, because oh, yeah. during the Olympic run in 06, 07, 08, there was a swirl of like, man, what if we play together? Like, hmm. Because we all enjoyed play, playing together at that time frame. You know, Kobe, LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Paul. And all of us were playing together and was like, man, what if we play together, you know, for our NBA teams? And it, it, that conversation started then. And then obviously it manifested itself in 2010. Wow. Wow. 
Would you say Kobe was less receptive, God rest the dead, was Kobe less receptive to Buddy Ball than LeBron, Wade, and Bosch? What, what was the difference in conversation? Yeah, we were older. So, I mean, Kobe's a year older than me. And at the time, you know, we were just different-minded in the fact that we would never play with each other. We enjoy each other. We're friends. We're boys. But I'm not working out with you. I'm not – although me and Kobe did work out together a couple summers together uh, during the Olympic run. Uh, but the younger guys were the ones really starting that conversation up. And obviously they were close. They came in together, same ages, same draft with D-Wade, Bosch, and LeBron. Chris Paul right behind them. So those conversations were happening within them more so than the older guys. Why do you think that older guys, like in that time frame, were less receptive um, to teaming up? Was it because they felt like they may be giving away secrets or was it just a difference in um, errors? Different mentality, a different era. Remember, social media wasn't a factor. So the pressure to win a championship from a social media wasn't even around, you know? And you look at the great players, Carl Malone, Pat Ewing, Reggie Miller, our mentality was to stay with one franchise our whole career. And no matter how it turned out, we want to be that one team. And so, uh, yeah, it's a different mentality. There was never, the pressure to win a championship to quantify if you had a great career or not just wasn't there. But at the competition level, it was more of a, it was a more of a, I couldn't wait to play against Kobe. I couldn't wait to play against Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady. Who's the better player? Who's wins tonight? Who's, you know, so you measure yourself against the greatness that you played against every night more than, you know, cake walking through, you know, NBA schedule. So it was a different, different vibe back then. Yeah. Yeah. Say 2005, you do sign with Cleveland. What 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 happens? You what does that look like as far as uh, if if you were to imagine it? You know, me and LeBron had that conversation over the years. Probably would have won a championship. I mean, at that point, in my career, um, and, and LeBron was great back then. But he's not who he is now. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, his savviness, his his experience, his uh, what he learned from D Wade. You know, in 2011, 12, 13, um, he became a different player than he was in 2005, 6, 7 yeah. range. But I think still, though, with the cast that he had, I think we won a championship. Yeah. You, you, you were what he needed. He needed a guy like you. Yeah. yeah. Just to take the pressure off him, like a score, mm-hmm. close. Uh, yeah. I they agree. The Mariano Rivera and a Michael Red. A closer. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it, man. Scoop, I, I enjoy playing. I love the fourth quarter. I do miss that, being removed from the game. I love the pressure pack moments. Um, I've always embraced them. Um, you know, being on the edge of being in the NBA and, and, and out the NBA as a rookie builds character in you and a toughness to persevere. And I just enjoy uh, – you know, being the guy that either won the game or lost the game, and that probably would have helped at that time with LeBron and Cleveland. Mike, you, you said something, and I got to walk it back really quick, not just for clarity's sake. You talked about the fact that you and LeBron would have won a championship. So that being said, we're looking at 2007 against the San Antonio Spurs, a great Popovich team, Kobe Black, Tim Duncan, or excuse me, 
Tim Duncan's an assistant coach now. Played uh, Tim Duncan played. You had Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, and more. Um, you think that Cavs team could have took that Spurs team with you on that team? Well, I always gave San Antonio problems. Me personally, when I played San Antonio, even in that era, right. uh, they would put Bruce Bowen on me or whatever. But it was we had great success against San Antonio for whatever reason in Milwaukee. There's certain teams that we had success against, and. Uh, San Antonio was on our radar as a team that we thought we could beat for whatever reason. And, uh, so uh, LeBron, who he was back then, uh, being just a machine that he was, and then the scoring ability myself, that was a hard combination to to tackle. So obviously, no doubt, San Antonio had the savvy. They won championships. Coach Pop, it have been a heck of a series for sure. For sure, Definitely. Definitely. That, that Cavs team was young. I mean, you had a shooter, Danielle Marshall, in the corner. He saved them a couple of times in the playoffs. Lou Williams, Mo Williams, LeBron, et cetera. You are uh, being from Ohio State, and I, I know that area well. I, I speak often at Ohio University and take that hour ride <laughs> from the airport. I like the airport because it's low-key and it's quiet. Yeah. I'm curious to know from your perspective, when was the first time that you saw LeBron or knew of LeBron, because you're from Ohio. Mm -hmm. What was the first time you had heard different sections of Ohio, but you guys are from that big state? When did you first hear the name LeBron? When he was in high school, his junior, sophomore year, uh, you knew the buzz, you heard the buzz. At that point, I was in the NBA. Um, but for sure, he had watched me at Ohio State when he was in high school and middle school and whatnot. And, and you would hear of how great he was and who he was going to be um, his sophomore, junior year. And um, I remember being in the NBA, I was telling a lot of guys, like, this kid is going to be amazing. Uh, mark my words. And a lot of guys were like, nah, wait till he gets to the NBA. It's going to be a different, uh, uh, you know, game for him. It's going to be more physical, you know, grown men. And I said, listen, scratch all that. When he gets to the NBA, it's going to be even worse. Uh, he's going to be phenomenal. It's gonna be one and so I was staring the guys then uh, of how great he was in high school. And lo and behold, um, his career speaks for itself. Amazing career. And uh, not surprised at all. Overall, it's funny when I talk to uh, a Rich or a Randy or Maverick, you know, this was projected out before LeBron got to the NBA. And so we would talk even his rookie year, like, it's over. It's over. Like, we, we just knew. And um, it's just so proud of him and his development as a person, as a player, obviously, but as a person, being from the state of Ohio and knowing his background and his history and knowing them from the beginning. Uh, it's been a remarkable journey for him. We, we talked about knowing the Black Baptist Church. Uh, I think the phrase that they use is mustard seed faith. They have yeah. the size of a mustard seed uh, that LeBron would be what he was. I'm, I'm curious to know. And then after this, Sean, I promise I defer to you. Um, <laughs> uh, Greg Oden, Ohio State guy. My guy. Looking back at that draft, um, from I want to know your perspective. Did you think that Odin was going to be a better guy long-term than KD? Better? No. Dominant? Yes. More dominant. I don't know better and dominant are, saying, are the same, but uh, when Greg was healthy, he was dominant. And you could project that he was going to be the next big center, big-time center, um, since Shaq, maybe, to dominate the NBA. And when he was healthy in Portland, it's tough to deal with. And so uh, 
but Kevin, obviously, uh, <laughs> he's an enigma, man. He's he's something that we've never seen before. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 hard between Portland and Seattle at that moment who to pick. Uh, Greg was just so dominant, though. It was hard to pass that up. But Kevin, my goodness, um, Kevin has the. I don't know what his Achilles now, but he, he he had the ability to be one of the greatest ever. Uh, he already is, but like literally, that rarefied air talent. Word. Yeah, he's another level. Yeah. Another level. Seven foot, doing what he's able to do, handle. Um, he's become an excellent defender. Doesn't get the credit that, that he deserves in that regard. Um, there's no weaknesses offensively. Scoop. Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> so he's 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 someone says the greatest scorer. I can't officially say that. I gotta go with Mike. Um, but for sure, uh, his bag is endless. Yeah. Well, let's 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 look a little bit at your your old team and 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 where they are now because I I think everybody would agree that. To have them out at this point is a big disappointment. Um, so what do you see that went wrong? Can it be fixed? It can certainly be fixed what went wrong. What went wrong is the development of Giannis. Um, he has to get better uh, with his overall game. Um, they lost some mojo before the, before the shutdown mm -hmm. last four or five games they weren't themselves and then you have this whole shutdown that literally took them way off kilter and off rhythm um and so there was a different dynamic plan in the you know the bubble than obviously in the arenas and so uh yeah it can definitely be fixed i'm, I'm still disappointed and uh and hurt by it but uh everyone has to up their game you know at the end of the day uh, Chris has to get better, yeah. um, which I think he did a fair job in the playoffs. Um, that game uh, four was remarkable by him. Um, but Giannis has to – he's the key. Um, him developing his game, his mid-range game, uh, his whole package, his tool bag. The NBA playoffs are a totally different animal than the regular season. And uh, I feel like um, – I feel like he just needs to continue to develop. Yeah. yeah. What would you advise him to do next? He's obviously going to get a lot of uh, attention in terms of being a free agent next year. Sure. How would you tell him kind of to handle that? And and do you think he should stay in Milwaukee? Oh, for sure stay in Milwaukee. Uh, I'm going to say that because I did it. What did say? Stay in Milwaukee and, and continue to grow and, and, and become a better basketball player which is going to make the team better, uh, ultimately. They got tools. They got great players, you know, and, and, you know, I believe in Coach Bud still. You know, I know a lot of people don't. Um, I do. Um, they just got to continue to get better as individual players um, and come back next year desperate and hungry. You know, this year is an anomaly, anomaly man. I mean, this year their, their, their rhythm got broken up. And I'm not giving them any excuses, but uh, they were they – were, clearly the best team or one of the best teams in the NBA at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Would you welcome a Chris Paul trade to Milwaukee? Do you think he'd help? 
Is yeah. he a free agent or is it, or is it a trade? Trade, trade. Wow. Chris Paul is an upgrade for sure from a controlling the game standpoint, playing guard position. Uh, EB um, is the most explosive. Obviously, he had a great year defensively. Um, you know, so there's give and take on both sides. Chris is older than Eric. Um, he proved this year that he can stay healthy um, compared to years before when he would get hurt um, due to probably age or whatnot. But that's a roll of the dice, you know. And so he has one year left on his deal probably. Mm-hmm. Trade. So you got EB locked up for another three years. There's no certainty that Chris is going to stay in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. It's a roll of the dice. But obviously it paid off for Toronto a year, year ago with Kawhi. Yeah. So definitely Chris can make a huge difference. Chris was phenomenal this year. And I think he proved a lot of doubters that he uh, can still play at a high level. Of course he's a good shooter. He wears number 22. You know, Oh, Chris Milton? Yeah. That's uh, my guy. <laughs> it's funny, a quick story about that. When Chris came to Milwaukee, uh, he was in the training room. And it was I was actually there for my retirement ceremony in Milwaukee that night. And uh, he's laying on the bench, and I said, man, do you know who wore that jersey? And he said, yes, sir. I said, you're going to represent, right? He said, yes, sir. And uh, and so he's he's been he's been remarkable, man, uh, overall. I don't think people projected Chris Milton to be who he became. Uh, if you look back at the beginning of his career. And so I'm proud of him and, uh, um, you know, hopefully he can continue to grow and get better. Yeah, you know, John John Hammond gets a lot of credit for drafting Giannis, but I think that trade, bringing in Chris Middleton, recognizing what he was doing in Detroit, you know, he had a good relationship with Joe Dumars at the time, and you know, they wind up getting Chris Middleton. Uh, and I, that's that was the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Brandon Jennings trade, I believe. Uh, so they get Chris Middleton. That was a brilliant move. That that that's that's as much has as much to do with where they are now. Uh, not quite as much as as drafting Giannis, but that's that's the kind of thing that that you need to have happen for a franchise to uh, to get where the Bucks are. No question. No question. Chris do, is overall great. Do you think that when Giannis went down? Because I feel like, in my opinion, I feel like Chris and Giannis are a package deal. So when they went through free agency with Chris last year, he signed that big deal and people complained. Uh, do you think Chris, when Giannis went down in the playoffs, proved to people why Milwaukee spent that money on him? Oh, I did. I did. I mean, it, it, that's where the market was too. <laughs> so, you know, but he's an all-star, uh, multiple-time all-star. So – um, his numbers are not as inflated because he has Giannis. Mm-hmm. If you put Chris with another team or having him have his own franchise, he would average over 25 points a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, he's that he's that in the lead of a of a of a, of a hooper, um, but he sacrificed a lot of his game for the good of the team. And, and obviously, Giannis being the franchise guy, but Chris Chris is a bucket. Ohio ties. Uh, you know LeBron, you know Mav, you know Rich, you know all those guys. Um, you talk about LeBron early on. Uh, you talk about how he was in Cleveland. Uh, the first go-round, he went to Miami and then came back to Cleveland. I've heard different people make comparisons to LeBron and Giannis as it relates to LeBron early on. We knew how good he was. In fact, Antoine Walker said this to me recently. He said you feel, he feels as though Giannis is being exposed in real time, but he hasn't even – reached his peak yet. 
Do you think that there is a comparison in LeBron the first time around in Cleveland to Giannis in Milwaukee? Wow. Oh, man. No. Okay. No, I, I, I think I can see why people would say that. Um, I think Giannis has a bad, better cast than LeBron has. Agreed. Had. And LeBron, um, you can make the argument was a better player than Giannis was. Um, now, obviously, Giannis' stats are off the charts, and LeBron, I don't think, had those stats. Although he led the league in scoring, average of 30, high 20s, um, Giannis was doing things that we hadn't seen from a stats standpoint. But when it came to the playoffs, LeBron always showed up um, in, a, in a variety of ways. They're different. They're different. But the situation is different, too. Um, Cleveland, um, they just didn't have the cast and the depth that Milwaukee had this mm -hmm. year. So if you give LeBron that back then, I think they would, I think they would win. Uh, how is when you say LeBron was 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 the better player? How so? What, what was he doing better? And what would you like to see Giannis improve? Well, LeBron's handle, his passing ability, his playmaking ability, uh, his ability to uh, be a guard at six nine. Uh, Giannis is not a guard, although he has those skill sets mm -hmm. to agree. Um, so LeBron has just graced with a, a unique talent, uh, IQ, giftings that Giannis just doesn't have. Now, Giannis is just a freak of a body, freak of an athlete. Um, and so he's made strides over the years. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done from a post standpoint. I think Giannis could be really good in the post um, and develop his moves and footwork in the post. Um, his mid-range game, his ability to pick and pop more so than try to drive all the time. So there's a, there's a, the scary thing about Giannis is that <laughs> he can get better yeah. as he's been and great as he's been two time MVP. I believe would be MVP this year probably can get so much better. Do you see him in a Dirk Nowitzki type of space? You look at Dirk early on, similar, similar. Well, in my opinion, similar but different because Dirk was more of a straight up three that transitioned into a three four five with some post moves, but still was a shooter. As he got older, he shifted shift to a five. Do you see a progression in that space, similarly for Giannis? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think I think. I'm going to be honest with you. What's going to help you honestly all the more is mortality. As he gets older and you go through miles, you become wiser and you become more savvier. And that forces you to work in your game. He's still a young lion who can just – I think time and, and age will help him refine his game all the more. Um, he'll be 26 next year, you know, in, in the season. So, you know, time, experience – Heartache, pain of losing forces you to adjust your game. And, uh, and, and, and for the last two years, he's seen walls. Yeah. That downhill ability to Euro step and to overpower won't necessarily work in the playoffs. High leverage moments, second round, third round, finals level. Those teams, when you have a week to prepare, it's harder. So the regular season almost lies to you. 
in a sense. And it's like a culture shock when you get into the playoffs, having easily dominated all year long a certain way. And it's a, it's a different level. And Miami is probably the, the most talented defensive team in the playoffs right now. You said Miami. So let me take that and raise you this. If Giannis were to leave to Milwaukee, would he fit in Miami? He would. They would. They got the shooters. They got the the closer with Jimmy Butler. Um, but I think Chris can be that for for as as Giannis continues to develop. Maybe the offense is more Chris centric in a sense because we saw what Chris can do mm-hmm. from a standpoint and a playmaking standpoint. So Chris can be Jimmy, um, and I think. John Horst will have to do a great job continue to put shooters around Giannis. Um, there's parallels there. The culture of Miami obviously is different than, than Milwaukee, but he can fit Miami for sure. Yeah, that's real. It's, it's going to be tougher, though. It, it, with that Brooklyn Nets team coming um, <laughs> next year, hopefully, and I say that with, K, uh, with AD, uh, KD's uh, injury, which is everything. His recovery is everything to that team. But the East is going to be tough next year again. So um, we'll see how everything pans out. You're a guy that's been injured. Um, you've recovered. You've come back. You've been in and out. Um, do you think that KD and Kyrie are going to click right away? I do. I do. I really do. Uh, you know, Katie's so unique, and I know Kyrie has a special love for him. Um, you know, and, and KD has a love for Kyrie, so I think their chemistry, because they're boys and friends, similar to a Harden Westbrook, uh, I think will 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 get them through a lot of the ups and downs that they may face. Um, I don't know how close Kyrie was to LeBron. Off the court. Right. right. These guys are close off the court, and hopefully that would translate onto on the court chemistry. Because if KD can get on Kyrie, Kyrie won't take it personal. That's my boy telling me what I should do, or vice versa. That's real. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to me because LeBron is playing, and this is this is a compliment to both of them, but LeBron's playing with an unbelievable level of confidence this year. Part of that is because there's, I think there's one guy in the NBA, beyond, I think Kawhi, Kawhi obviously can give LeBron trouble, but there's one guy that, that that KD is something else. He's not in the picture at all. So with him and the Golden State Warriors being out of the picture, people feel, and LeBron and Lakers have to feel so confident um, that they can win it all, any team actually, because that, that juggernaut was just, it was too much. Faith. Please hope for. Very special. You're in the tech space. Um, just scribbling notes and, and before we got on. Um, the tech space is something that I feel a lot of people are in. If they're not in the tech space, they're in the medicinal marijuana space. Um Advancement has made medicine and analytics a big thing. Um, 
but also with your tech fund um, and other ventures. Uh, I guess my question is, how did you make sure uh, that you weren't going to end up financially ruined after retirement? Yeah, had, had brilliant people around me. Um, not that I had made mistakes and when you're a young guy, you, you know, you just, you don't have financial literacy. <laughs> um, that's a big thing. And the, 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 the bandwidth to handle millions, um, the psychology of how to handle money, right? Most young black men and young players, athletes don't know how to handle it, right? So, but having people around me to keep me grounded, basketball, being a basketball player was never my identity, um, which I think is critical too. So I never got caught up in the life of keeping up, mm -hmm. um, which plagues us, you know, uh, the ice, the diamonds, the cars, <clears throat> the massive home, the lifestyle, you know, it, it just never, I never really identified as that, that guy. Um, so financial literacy is a huge thing. <clears throat> also allowing yourself to be exposed to other spaces beyond basketball because you will retire one day at an early age, um, being in your 30s or 20s, whatever. Um, you're young and you have the whole rest of your life ahead of you. Um, figuring out what you wanna do in the next phase of your life is so important. Beginning to start having a game plan of kind of figuring out and meeting people that have done it at an incredible level and leveraging that. What was it about that space that, that, that attracted you? Yeah, I've always been intrigued with, with technology and how it makes our lives convenient. Uh, and so uh, also high structured finance, venture capitalist, mm -hmm. uh, private equity, understanding that the guys that own the team, they were in those worlds, hedge funds. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the narrative around the NBA is how much these guys are making, the players are making. I was always intrigued with the guys who's writing the check for the players that are making that much money. And for me, it was important to have my game, my brand extend beyond the game of basketball. How does that happen? Ownership. And so not taking just an endorsement check anymore, but be, having equity and ownership in these companies that want my likeness and influence mm. became a thought process for me back then. And Obviously, we're seeing what technology is doing all around the world and, and particularly in sports tech and how that market is growing and the convergence between athletes and technology is continuing to evolve and grow. became very intriguing to me. Uh, digital media, uh, social platforms, social media platforms, how they've grown over the years. So, yeah, that whole world became intriguing to me. and And. and yeah, NBA money is phenomenal. I'm so grateful and humbled by the lifestyle being able to provide it for me through the NBA and being a player. But the real level of wealth actually comes through Wall Street, hedge funds, private equity, venture. Yeah. That was the world that I wanted to get into and, 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 and be a player in. Yeah. You talked about not being, I guess, the allure of the game, the fancy cars, the the the, the diamond watches, the, the Rolex presidential tricked out with the diamonds, um, which, by the way, I learned recently, it loses its value the minute you pop it. Did you guys know that? Yeah. <laughs> I have a Casio, so I'm <laughs> This is the thing. Like, 
real, like, I've learned this about billionaires and, and people who have extreme wealth. They do it in obscurity. Yeah. And if I had to do it all over again, I, I would have preferred to have made the money that I made in obscurity. You know, the guy in the raggedy jeans and the wrinkled T-shirt. No one knows who he is, but he's that guy. You know, and I think we as athletes, we don't have to prove anything to anybody. We are the proof. Right. And, and, and so we feel like we've had to wear the ice, have the big cars, have all of that to, I don't know, prove that we made it. You know, part of that's that psychology as well. Um, yeah, when you go from extreme nothing to extreme everything, that's a that's a challenging psychological battle that most young athletes deal with. You know, Michael, I use this example all the time. It's literally like the big girl who loses a ton of weight, and then all of a sudden, all the guys are on her. You got to kind of go to the counseling. Like I lost all this weight. Now I got weight. I'm shaped like an hourglass. Yeah. But <laughs> every guy that's giving you the attention, I'm giving you the clean version. But yes. All right, right. <laughs> it's a different analogy. It's a different. Oh, man. Oh, and our, our mistakes at 22, 23, 24, 25 are much more crucial than that CEO who's making that money at 55, 60, 48 did when he was 22. Right. So. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a it's it's getting all of that money at a young age. There's a certain level of bandwidth and IQ you need to, to manage it. You talked about that car. Were you more uh, Kawhi Leonard drove a 20 year old beat up car when he signed a 94 million dollar contract? If I'm not mistaken, Brandon Jennings drove a Toyota. Got it. Yeah. What were you what, what were you pushing at that age? At 21? 20, let's say 21 to 26. Oh, I had Escalade. Okay. Not Escalade, the old, the, the old Escalade that came out. Uh, I always stayed having a nice car for sure. Um, again, it was never to prove anything. I had a great, great mentor of mine share with me about living simply. Mm -hmm. And I felt condemned when he was sharing that with me. He was like, Mike, whoa, whoa, whoa. You having this Bentley car is equivalent to me having this bicycle. And there's nothing wrong with having things. You just can't have things have you. Hmm. And that that wasn't my identity. I love nice cars. I'm a car guy. Enjoyed them. But it wasn't something that I, you know, begin to identify with, if that makes sense. So uh, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. I just think they can't have you at the end of the day. That's real. Sean? I have one last thing for you, Michael, that 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 this story always sticks with me because uh, Jerry Colangelo told me uh, about it. And 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 this kind of, to me, summed up that 2008 Olympic team. And, and it was you uh, meeting with Jerry Colangelo. And and I remember he said, he didn't say, like, we, we, you had seen him at the hotel and you weren't, weren't dressed yet. He said, I got to go get dressed. He said, you know, let's just sit and talk. He said, nope, nope. I'm going, and you put on a suit, and then you went and met with Jerry Colangelo. What, what, how do you remember that story, and, and, and how do you think that kind of sums up what that team was about? Yeah, at that point, you know, we had lost in 2004, and it was a devastating climate over, over USA basketball at the time. Um, and so uh, 
my approach was was this is an interview, and I wanted I want to approach it with the dignity and class that it deserves. And I didn't want to do an interview in my sweatpants. I wanted to go change into a suit and 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 really honor the position uh, that this is that this deserves. So uh, there was certainly a focus and a seriousness heading into that team in 06, 07, 08. It was all about business and it was all about winning. And, uh, but I, 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 you know what? It was something that just dawned on me to take it seriously and wear a suit. It was, it was a professional group. You guys took it as a professional job, this thing. We did. We did. And we had great leadership on the team um, with Jason Kidd being uh, probably one of the main leaders on the team. And uh, we just approached it from a serious professional standpoint. My last question, the benediction and the altar call. Um, <laughs> I got to go to church. I got to go to church with Scoop. Right, right. <laughs> Pastor Scoop, man. Jason Kidd, you played with him in the Olympics. Do yeah. You, as, a, as he's currently an assistant coach with the Lakers, do you see him as a better fit remaining with the Lakers as an assistant, coaching the Sixers, or coaching the New Orleans Pelicans? Floor is yours. Wow. I think Jason is uh, – he's a head coach. Um, and I think you can see his fingerprints over the Lakers. Not that Frank Vogel, the leader, hasn't done a great job. He's certainly done a great job this year. Um, Jason Kidd's, uh, you know, relationship with LeBron, obviously, is glaring on that team, his influence on that team. Jason will be a coach again one day. Um Hey, Pelicans, and what's the other team you mentioned? The Sixers. Don't sleep on Ty Lue. Scoop B uh, Radio. In, 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 probably in Philly. Um, I can see Jason in Philly as well, but I, I like Ty Lue too um, in either one of those roles. So it's – it's Jason would be a head coach just no matter where. Mm -hmm. So Pacers jobs are open. There's a number of jobs open. Um but it'd be good to see Jason too with an established uh, core as well. Go in peace. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, appreciate your time, my brother. Thank you for having me, man. It's my honor. Sean, I appreciate your time too. Oh, I, this was this was wonderful. It's so nice to talk with you, Michael. Yes, sir. All right, thank you, man. Good seeing you again. You too. All right, guys. Later, man. Guys. Michael Red, ladies and gentlemen. Sean, you did good work, sir. <laughs> what a pleasure it was. What a pleasure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, yeah, man, one of the things I took away from this conversation was just the progression. Um, you look at a lot of guys like uh, Ron Harper, who was able to transition from, you know, being a star with the Clippers to, you know, playing with Michael and the Bulls and then, you know, promoting mm -hmm. with the Lakers. And, you know, you look at Michael Red. No, he didn't necessarily continue his career after injuries, but he was smart. You look at guys like Andre Iguodala. It reminds me. He reminds me of Iguodala before Iguodala. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he was. He 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 had a plan. You know, I mean, he was smart enough to have a plan. Uh, and he had good people. Around. You hear that so many times from the guys who know what they're going to do after they retire, and that is that they had they. They were smart enough to get good people around them. Because, look, you know, in your, your 21, 22, 23, you don't know. You just you can't possibly know at that point 
what's coming. Uh, and and you need you need the people around you. No said. No said. Yeah, man. I enjoyed this. This is our first run. You and I together, and I'm looking for that forward to that continuing. Absolutely, Scoop. All right, man. We're out of here. Talk soon. Right. Yeah. And this is Scoop B Radio saying, "You bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Duncan." Kaboom! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 